I, I mentioned this last week. God is just doing something, you know, just really sweet, special, encouraging, uplifting, you know, in our community and around the world. And uh, there's going to be opportunities, as Jeremy mentioned, you know, for us to continue to be who Christ has called us to be outside these walls and look for those opportunities and engage in those and represent him well. And so I just want to thank you for being here, you know, this weekend. Uh, I know it's pretty smoky outside, but uh, you made it, you know, here uh, as we finish up what I believe has been a really great series. Uh, Have you enjoyed this series, you know, so far? You know, it's been great. We've walked through a book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians, trying to learn from a church that is similar to our church, in a culture that's similar to our culture. Because they were in the Roman culture, and they've called the United States kind of like the new Rome. And it's funny how so many things, even though it's been thousands of years, and we think we've evolved and changed and morphed, and yet people are people— And the church is the church. And so there's been an opportunity for the Apostle Paul to remind that church in Corinth. And now the Apostle Paul has reminded that church at Valley Real Life some important characteristics, some important things. And the reason we've called this uncommon is because the word uncommon means out of the ordinary. It means unusual. And so we've kind of had some fun, you know, with kind of that idea, things that are out of the ordinary and uh, that are unusual. But there are some things, uh, maybe some common misperceptions uh, of things that happen in our lives that, that we might believe in that are actually more uncommon than we realize. Uh, like, let me, let me ask you this. Any of you in a, as a kid, uh, do you ever go looking for a four-leaf clover? Anybody ever try to do, try to find a four-leaf clover? Uh, do you know that the statistics of finding a four-leaf clover, a true one, is one in 10,000? So it's not as common, you know, as you think. They say it's one in 10,000. Uh, a lot of people these days are, are afraid to travel especially in, in, in airplanes. And part of it is due to Hollywood, you know, who has, you know, shows like Castaway, Plane Crash, or Lost, or Snakes on a Plane, you know, whatever it may be, you know, that they're showing. You're like, I don't want to go travel on an airplane because it, it actually could crash. And the reality is that you and I have a one in 103 chance of actually dying in an automobile accident versus the one in 188,364 chance of dying on an airplane, you know, crash at some point in your lifetime. So drive home safely, you know, so that would be my encouragement, you know, for you as well. But we have this common and uncommon kind of perception. Uh, um, uh, Many people in 1970s, there was a movie came out from Steven Spielberg called Jaws. And when that came out, it changed and freaked out Americans for all time. And so all shark movies has come out, and, 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 and it's so popular that even when it happens today where somebody gets attacked by a shark, it becomes national news. Like this huge thing is happening. Oh, my goodness, don't anybody go in the water. Don't let your kids go in the ocean at all. And yet here's the probability is that you have a chance of being attacked by a shark, a one in 3,748,067 chance of it actually happening in your lifetime. Okay, so don't be afraid, you know, to enter into the water. Now, some of you um, like to risk when it comes to the lottery. Uh, can I just encourage you, just give to Valley Real Life, you know, uh, because the, the statistical probability of you winning the mega jackpot is one in 302,575,350. So not a high probability there. Uh, last, last one I'll give you is how many of you uh, every year uh, at about March, 
there's something called March Madness that comes out. And people like to fill out a bracket. How many of you guys have ever filled out one of these brackets before? We even do it in the office. Whether you even watch or like college basketball, it's kind of, kind of something that's fun and we love our Zags and so we participate in that. Well, you might remember, uh, maybe you noticed a couple years ago, a guy by the name of Warren Buffett said that he would give $1 billion to anyone who had a perfect bracket. A billion dollars. Let's just say the brackets that were filled out went up significantly, millions and millions and millions of people more. Now, what you need to understand is Warren Buffett ain't no dummy. Because here's the statistical probability of getting a perfect bracket. One in 2.4 trillion is the chances of actually filling out a perfect bracket. So his money was pretty safe being able to do this. Now, as I go through this, I know that some of you are around my age and stage. And when, you, when I say these statistics, there's only one in such and such a chance. You can't help but think about this. Go ahead and watch the screen. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say. And we really don't hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just, least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! <laughs> I know some of you, you're thinking the same thing, but Dan, so you're saying there's a chance. That's why I buy that lotto ticket, you know, each, each and every time. And so we're just having a little fun, you know, with this, but the reality is there is one more uh, example I want to give you that was the least likely to ever happen in the history of the world. And that was a guy who predicted that he was going to die and then raised from the dead three days later. It's only happened once in human history and will only happen once for the rest of all time. And his name is Jesus, and we're talking about the resurrection. You see, as we've journeyed with this church, you know, in Corinth, uh, they have some questions. Remember, this is a correspondence that's taking place, and he's writing a letter, and now they have questions that he's answering concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection itself. Some people in that church uh, don't believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, while others believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they don't believe that they are going to rise from the dead, and yet still others believe that Jesus rose and they're going to rise, but they think they're going to have the same bodies that they do now. So Paul takes an entire chapter. He takes the chapter of 15 in 1 Corinthians to walk through the answers to the questions in which they have and to which we need to understand as well, because this is essential to our faith. So I understand it's not Easter, but we're going to spend almost all of our time talking about the importance, once again, of the resurrection because Paul does this as well. The resurrection is the core of our faith. Creation and the proof of creation is not the core. The Bible or the accuracy 
is not the core of our faith. And it's important. Christians are not the core of our faith. We can go on and on. It's the resurrection of Jesus that's the foundation. That's the core. That if there is no resurrection, then everything that we believe in isn't true. This is the importance of this. In fact, there's a, a, a theologian um, named Pelican who actually said this. You're gonna have to process this with me. He says, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And conversely, if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. So you gotta be able to process that. In fact, uh, a guy by the name of Tim Keller, you know, recently passed away. He actually said these words, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And so we want to kind of unpack this as Paul unpacked this for that church because it's essential. See, if Christ is not risen, then your faith, my faith, it's pointless. It's in vain. Paul says it this way in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 12. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection from the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Now, what you need to know about the Bible is whenever it repeats itself, or says something similarly, the very same way, they're trying to make, the author is trying to make a, a special point, like don't miss this. Paul literally repeats himself, for this is what he says in the very next verse, in verse 15. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And worse yet, you're still guilty of your sins. In other words, if we don't have the resurrection, then the, 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 the purpose in which Jesus went to for the cross doesn't matter because it doesn't pay for what took place. It's not proof of what took place. And so you and I are still trying to connect to a righteous and holy God. Our preaching our faith, it's pointless. It's useless. In fact, if Jesus was not risen from the dead, then our hope is hopeless. I know we just sang about this hope, you know, that we have in Christ, but it's hopeless. It, Paul says it this way in verse 18. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, if that's the only purpose that we have in this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. That, we, that the world should look at us and be like, yeah, you guys are nuts. Why are you actually following this whole belief in Christ and his way and his teaching? Because obviously the resurrection isn't true. You see, the Christian hope is that there is life beyond the grave and that death does not have the final word. The Christian hope is that our loved ones who die in Christ, we will see them again. Our Christian hope is that we will live forever with God, with Christ, with our loved ones, and with all tribes, tongues, languages, and, na and nations of those who've also put their hope in him. If Christ is not risen, then our hope is hopeless. It's a deception. If Christ is not risen, then our loved ones who have died in Christ are also lost 
forever. See, if Christ was not raised, then our Christian lives lack purpose and meaning. And from a spiritual standpoint, they completely lack purpose and meaning. Paul says it this way in verse 30. And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection of the dead? And this is my favorite statement that he says on this. And if there's no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. All right, if there's no resurrection, just live it up, you know? Have a great time in whatever you think is gonna bring a great time in your life. You see, Paul made sacrifices because of the resurrection and his belief in that. He took risks. He was put in prison. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He experienced hunger and sleeplessness. Why would he go through all of that? Because he believed and he knew that the resurrection of Jesus was true. And he had a message that he wanted to share. And the sacrifices were worth it to him because the message was true. Because if the resurrection isn't true, then the world is right. Eat, drink, indulge, engage. You only have one life to live. Just do it. There should be anything that you want to do, anything that you have, however you may feel. You know, just engage in all of those things because this is all there is. But (laughs) if Christ is risen, if he is risen, then our faith is secure. Our faith is real. This is how he starts in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, let me now remind you, for those of you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, and that word good news in other translations is gospel. You know, the good news of gospel that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course... You believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. See, last week we talked about love. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind of one of the most famous chapters in the Bible called the love chapter. And we hear that at, 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 at weddings. And, and yet it, it actually was not written for husbands and wives, even though it applies. It was actually written for how people in Christ were supposed to get along and how they were supposed to love in the way Jesus called us to love. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is probably one of the most famous chapters. But yet I believe that 1 Corinthians 15 may be one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible, because it explains what the good news, what the gospel is. Paul takes this idea. Jesus comes in and says, I have a good news to share. I have a good news to preach. I have a good news to live. And, and we look at it thousands of years later. What is the gospel? What is the good news? This is as simple and clear as he can make it. If you ever wonder, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Here we go. That Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. So remember that this was prophesied hundreds of years earlier in places like Psalms 22 or Isaiah 53, that this was foretold for generations. Secondly, that he was buried. Okay, it's not one of those where, yeah, he was really sick and really bloody and really beaten and we revived him. No, no, he was buried. It's not like a Monty Python, I'm not dead yet. You know, he was actually, actually gone. 
you know, completely gone. And to make sure that point is, is, is established, it says, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. So it's been three days, just as the scripture said. See, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, or Jonah 1, 17, or Psalm 16, 10, and even by Jesus himself, he said, this is going to happen. And then he was seen by Peter and then the twelve. In Jesus' day, uh, if you were to go to a court, how do you have evidence to make your case? How do you know what you're saying is true versus someone else? And they said, two or three witnesses actually proves that what has happened is actually a real in the court of law outside the church in that culture, in Roman culture as well. So Paul's reminding them, because they live in this culture, that, hey, it wasn't just one or two, but he was seen by Peter and the twelve. And just in case you think it was just these band that got together and kind of made up this fairy tale, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. In other words, an advantage that he got the chance to tell them that he doesn't get to tell us, go talk to them yourself. You don't believe me? There's still some that are still alive. Go talk to them if you want to. Then he was seen by James, which is like the half-brother of Jesus. You want to convince anybody that you rose from the dead? The hardest people to convince are going to be your family members. And here's James that got seen by Jesus, and that's why Paul points out, and then later by all the apostles, evidence, evidence, evidence. This event happened. Last of all, as though I had been born at a wrong time, I also saw him. And what he's saying is that when he was traveling on a road, towards a town called Damascus, the risen Lord met him face to face as well. This is true. This is real. See, the cross, and you've heard me say this before, is the payment for our sins. What Jesus did on the cross paid for us to make us right before God, but the resurrection is the receipt. So you can't How do I know the cross is true? How do I know that it actually takes away my sin and if I put my trust in him, I'm made right with God, that it's not by my works, that all of my sin, past, present, and future have been taken on the cross? How do I know it's true and not just guy who was a prophet or a guy who said some great things and some moral teaching? How do I know that that is true? Because the receipt says so. Here's the evidence. It's the resurrection. That's what it is. We can clap about that. See, if Christ is risen, then that means not only is our faith secure, but we will be resurrected with Jesus. See, in in verse 20 of chapter 15, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. A great harvest. As I mentioned, you know, already, the love chapter is mentioned at weddings. This next section of scripture is mentioned at a lot of funerals, and rightly so. And you can see why this would be an encouragement. In verse 50, he says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Uh, In the Greek, that's where we get the word metamorphosis, this transformation, to go from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And he says it'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. He's referring, you know, to the end of days. And and, and in Revelation, they talk about these trumpets that will sound. And he says, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are also living will also be transformed. 
You see, we'll be the first, Jesus was the first of many. We will see loved ones again. That's the hope that we have in the resurrection, is that they're not lost, that they put their faith in Jesus for all eternity in a place called heaven. Which is why, because the resurrection is true, that we can read passages in places like Revelation that say things like this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the land, from every place in China and the Middle East and Uganda and South America and the United States of America and all history, all surrounding the throne of God. Such a vast crowd that it could not even be counted because the resurrection is true. And maybe one of the most encouraging verses in all of the Bible comes in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Face to face, encountering the risen Savior. The one thing that's lacking on this side of eternity is to sit down, to be physically in the presence of Jesus and of God. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Remember I told you that emphasis when they repeat themselves over and over, don't miss that point, but then don't miss this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Here's what I know. It doesn't take us long to think about a painful moment in our lives. It doesn't take us long to think about a time when we have shed a tear. It doesn't matter if you're here and you're in elementary school or you're here in your 80s or 90s. All of us in this side of eternity go through pain. We go through suffering. We go through trials. We go through loss. And so what helps us to get up the next morning? When we're facing things like friends and family members in Medical Lake People we might know in Maui and Elk and in other places who go through seasons like this. What gives us hope? It's the resurrection. You see, the reason the Apostle Paul was able to say it's all worth the hard times is because one day the hard times will end. And it may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. It may not be next year, honestly, friends. It may not be on this side of eternity, but we can always hope in the reality and the truth that one day the tears will be no more. One day the pain will be gone. One day the suffering will end. And so what gives us strength in the moment is that one day I won't be in this moment anymore. One day I won't be feeling this. And so it gives me the strength, the peace, the perspective to know that this isn't going to last forever. And so we hold on to the resurrection because it's true. And it's in the resurrection that gives us that peace at times that surpasses all understanding. It gives us that perspective that we can't see when we're going through that cloud of depression or darkness or anxiety. But it gives us something we can hold on to in the midst of it all. That's something we can clap for, by the way. It rings a little more true, I guess, for me in the last couple months, going through what I went through, but even just more recently, <clears throat> most of you won't know, you know, but I found out uh, this morning, uh, Lou Applegate. Uh, 
He has been a part of our church for years. I mean, him and his wife have served in the kids area and they're part of so much of the things that God has, has, has led. And, and that guy has been in the hospital, you know, more than anybody that I know, you know, over the last probably eight years or so. And as uh, his daughter came this morning, just really encouraged, but knowing that, that her dad has now gone to hospice and probably has a couple more days. And, and, and in the midst of that, she still has hope because he has lived a good life. And when we have these experiences and these times and these trials, we can hold on to something that's secure in the midst of what it feels very unsecure. Now, to lighten things up just a little bit in the midst of this, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we get new bodies. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Those of you guys who are not clapping is because you got six-pack abs. One day, all of us are getting six-pack abs, people. That's a promise. You know, some of you guys are like, I don't care. My body's awesome. I'm like, oh, yeah? My body's going to be awesomer, you know, when, when we get there. This is what Paul says when it comes to these new bodies. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. I disagree with you, Paul. That is not a foolish question because that's what I want to know. You know, and so anyway, I'm just arguing with a guy, you know, who's not able to argue back, and I win. Uh, when you put, he says, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. So the seed actually has to die in order for the plant to grow. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. See, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Because they're thinking, well, these bodies, they're going to heaven. He's like, no, 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 no. Let me answer that question for you. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. For our dying bodies must be transformed. There's that metamorphosis again. Think caterpillar to butterfly, into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. What an encouragement and what a picture as you get older and the aches and pains, you know, continue to come more and more in life. Now, it's a beautiful picture of this life and this death and this burial and this resurrection is baptism. You know, baptism is the beautiful picture of what we've been talking about, which is why we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every week, directly or indirectly, every time we see somebody get baptized. Because in Romans chapter 6, it says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? So you're buried with Christ. For we were died and buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we also may be raised to live new lives. That is the symbolism of baptism. And this reminds us the resurrection is not just about going to heaven. Your life has meaning and purpose in this life before the next one. You and I have strength, purpose, and spiritual meaning in this life. Because sometimes we think, well, it's about the resurrection. It's about heaven. It's about, you know, fire insurance. It's about whatever we think it is. And we're like, no, 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 no. Yes, that's true. But no, 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 no. Don't forget. 
that your life has meaning. It has purpose here. And God has a plan for your life to affect other people's life while you're becoming more and more like him on this side of eternity. In fact, Paul ends the entire chapter. You know, he gets right to the very end. And to make this point, he says these words. So, in other words, therefore, in conclusion, don't miss this, my dear brothers and sisters. Be strong and immovable because of the resurrection. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Regardless of your vocation, regardless of how long you've been a follower of Jesus, work hard for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless because of the resurrection. Nothing is useless. Every time you do something for the Lord, it's going to have meaning, power, and a ripple effect that will carry beyond whatever good deed, whatever opportunity that God presents to you. See, if Christ is risen, then living uncommon lives for Jesus then becomes worth it. It becomes worth it. And that's why he's addressed them from the very beginning. In fact, if we go back to the beginning, he reminded them how uncommon they actually are. And to embrace that, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, I am writing to God's church in Corinth. Let me take a little bit of liberty and change one of the Bible words in here. I am writing to God's church at Valley Real Life. To you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. Holy means set apart, different, uncommon. He made you uncommon, holy, set apart by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So as believers, we do some weird things. At least the world thinks so. We do things that are uncommon. We're called to things that are uncommon because Jesus is saying, hey, you may not understand all these things, but I'm actually doing this for your benefit and for the benefit of the lives of those around you so that your life has spiritual meaning and purpose in this life as well as the one to come. And so allow me to remind you of the significance of being uncommon as we went through on, and as we went on this journey over these last six to eight weeks, that God is calling us to be an uncommon people, to experience uncommon unity and to fight for that, to sacrifice and have an uncommon sexual ethic, to be uncommon in the way that we deal with conflict, to have uncommon relationships, uncommon freedom, uncommon worship, last week uncommon love, and this week uncommon faith, all because of the resurrection. We choose to be uncommon because Christ has chosen us. And out of that relationship, we get to live different lives. Friends, it's worth it. Is it easy? No. Narrow is the road. Harder is that way traveled. Wide is the road to follow whatever the culture believes and says. But narrow is the road because eternity compared to this life, this life is just a, a breath. Eternity is forever. And it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the meaning. It's worth the purpose because the resurrection is true. So as we close this day and as we close this series, because of the resurrection, can we choose 
to live an uncommon life. Paul, Paul ends the letter in chapter 16. We're not going to spend you know, any time there because just like any correspondence, the majority of it is written really to the church. There's obviously application and meaning for us as well. He starts out by saying, hey, I'm going to come and collect an offering. And then he starts saying, I'm going to send people like Timothy and others and greet them and encourage them and do this and that. And he's talking to them. And then he finishes the letter and says, hey, just so you know, this is really me. Look, this is my own handwriting. And, you know, just greet this person, greet this person. But there is one verse. It's almost like he had ADD. Because it's like, whoa, that verse kind of came out of nowhere. But it was like, he, it's almost like he's like, I don't want you to miss this. And so as he, he kind of puts a capstone on this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, as he said to the church in Corinth, I want to say this to you as well as to me. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. What a great way and a great reminder for us to be uncommon. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the resurrection, for the truth of who you are. And Father, I pray that this truth will just bring encouragement, peace, perspective in the midst of what we might be facing. If there's anyone here who's not put their hope in you, I pray that right now you would experience this, whether they're watching online or in the room, and just simply pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for sacrificing yours. Father, for the rest of us, we just pray for the strength, the courage, the peace, the perspective to live uncommon lives for you. May we get to the end and hear those words, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, as we close, uh, Thursday night, uh, I did something that I've done maybe two other times in eight years. And that is I, I called an audible on the worship team. Because earlier in the day, um, I was looking at the, the, the words and kind of just really kind of sitting in the message. And I just kept thinking the song kept coming to my head. It's one talking about like, you keep hope alive and hope in the morning, hope in the evening. I'm like, okay, may, maybe I need to remind Kenny, can we, can we play that song? And I did not look you know, at the sheet that night and I came on Thursday night and sure enough, it was the third song leading up to communion. And so I leaned over to Kenny and I said, Kenny, I'm gonna throw you a curveball. I want us to end with it as well. Because that song is the anthem of what we've talked about. Because when we're going through stuff, there is hope. There is hope in the morning. There is hope in the evening. Though there may be sorrow and breaking, there is hope because he is alive. And because he's alive, I can face tomorrow. Because he's alive, I can have hope regardless of the circumstance. Because he's alive, I can actually proclaim the truth, even though I might be experiencing something else, that I can have hope in him. And so what I'm going to challenge you to do is that we're going to sing this song again. But may this be a song uh, that is an anthem, something that resonates from your heart as well as your mouth as you sing this to God. And as you do so, whether it be for yourself, think of somebody else who needs hope. Think of somebody else in your life who maybe have never received Christ. And as you're singing, think of those people. Think of Jesus. Think of what this song means because it encapsulates everything we've talked about today. And whether we can sing or not, may this be the prayer through melody that comes from our heart to him. Will you stand with me now as we sing this song together?